This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The Canadian International Auto Show kicked off this weekend and many of the hot new cars on display are full of futuristic features. They'll beep you if you drift from your lane, help you back into a parking space and even hit the brakes if a pedestrian darts in front of your car. But are these new assisted driving technologies helpful or do they just make us careless? Today I'll be joined by Ian Law and Sean DeYeager from the ILR Car Control School. Plus... There was a frenzy this week over a report that suggests regular mammograms don't reduce breast cancer deaths compared to regular physical exams. The research got huge play and is sure to confuse women. What to do? You'll want to hear the professional opinions of oncologist Dr. Ellen Warner and imaging pioneer Dr. Martin Yaffe. They're coming up. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Zoomers are likely disappointed with the budget presented by Finance Minister Jim Flaherty earlier this week. It didn't offer any real action on the throne speech promises for increased caregiver support and dementia care, and it doesn't have anything addressing the growing concern over pension security. Here's CARP's VP of Advocacy, Susan Eng. Well, I don't think CARP members are going to be too happy with it, um, unless they buy the government's message that they've got a good steady hand on the economic pillar. But in terms of anything specific for all the Canadians, I would say this budget was a bust. They're trying to think in terms of the next budget and the next election rather than what we need right now. And I think that's a shame and it's a missed opportunity. It's not the most romantic news following Valentine's Day. A poll from the Bank of Montreal finds spouses are more forgiving about cheating than they are about money problems. 68% of the people surveyed say fighting over money would be their top reason for divorce. A further 60% say infidelity would be their second reason. The participants are also split about who controls the money. 41% of the men say they handle the finances, while 32% of the women say the same thing. Extreme climate change could be responsible for an increase in strokes. A team from Yale, Harvard and Duke universities analyzed climate trends and hospital records on millions of Americans. They found that cold weather, high humidity and a big daily temperature swing seem to land more people in the hospital with strokes. Scientists are advising people to watch their diet and salt intake during extreme weather And they say people already at cardiovascular risk should stay in air conditioning in the summer and stay warm in the winter. And finally this week, we lost a couple of Hollywood luminaries. One of the first child stars, Shirley Temple, passed away Monday at the age of 85. On the gold ship. 
She began appearing in films at the age of three and starred in pictures such as Bright Eyes, Curly Top, and The Littlest Rebel. She was Hollywood's biggest box office star in the mid-30s, outdrawing adult stars like Clark Gable and Bing Crosby. Temple retired from acting at the age of 21, and then turned to a lengthy career in politics. She served in the U.S. delegation to the United Nations from 1969 to 1974, and was U.S. ambassador to Ghana from 1974 to 76, and U.S. ambassador to Czechoslovakia from 1989 to 1992. We also said goodbye to the great comedian Sid Caesar. He lit up 1950s television with his pantomime satire, mimicry, dialect, sketch comedy, and all-around zany humor on his variety show, Your Show of Shows. The program also helped launch the careers of Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, and Woody Allen. All three worked there as writers. Sid Caesar passed away Wednesday at the age of 91. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It got huge publicity and it's bound to confuse and confound women who are trying to be proactive when it comes to breast cancer. The prestigious British medical journal published an update to the now 25-year-old Canadian National Breast Screening Study. It followed 90,000 women in their 40s and 50s between 1980 and 1985. Half were given annual mammograms, half were not. The mammograms found more cancers but didn't save more lives. The number of breast cancer deaths were the same in both groups, even after all this time. Here's study author Dr. Cornelia Baines. It's not up to me to say get screened or don't get screened. It's up to me to tell women there are problems with screening. Make yourself familiar with them and then make your decision. But don't make your decision based on a belief that mammography saves lives and that the death reduction is 30% because that's a fairy tale. As expected, that sparked a furor. Here's the opposite view from Dr. Martin Yaffe, a professor of imaging research and senior scientist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. He was one of the pioneers in developing the latest digital mammography. I think the study was very flawed, and my biggest concern is all of the publicity around this study, I think, is causing confusion in women, and in some cases even confusion in, in their doctors as to what to do. I think mammography is a personal choice, I think uh, women should be informed uh, that mammography isn't perfect, uh, but it gives them a much better chance of having a breast cancer found earlier when the treatment in some cases uh, can be less severe, but also an improvement in the chances of not dying from breast cancer. The clinic is where the rubber hits the road when it comes to the benefits or harms of mass screening. I reached Dr. Ellen Warner, associate professor and medical oncologist, after her Thursday clinic at the Odette Cancer Center at Sunnybrook. You write anything about mammography, it will get huge publicity. I tell the students it's the most politicized, um, for whatever reason, item in all of medicine, at least in all of oncology. Why do you think that this whole area of mammography is so politicized? I think it's partly because breast cancer in general is so politicized, right? It's the most politicized disease there is. And the idea of mammography is that you can do something proactive to prevent what women have been taught to fear more than the things they should be fearing most, which is heart disease. Put it together and, you know, you've got a political, you know, bomb. What do you think of this 
study, which, first of all, it's, it's been portrayed in the media as a new study. It isn't. Not at all. Nope. Old study. Started in 1980. And it ended in 1985. Yep. The study found that there was no difference in the death rate from breast cancer. Right. Which you would maybe believe, except that there are, you know, at least eight or nine good studies or similarly equally good or bad, whichever way you want to rate them, studies of women of the same age as showing that at least in women over 50, mammography decreases death rates from breast cancer. Was the problem that it was done on old mammography machinery or was it a bias or what? Um, some people have argued that the machinery wasn't good. It was done at many, many different sites, and some of the in order to get as many different sites into the study as possible, I don't think they, you know, spent a lot of time telling people, oh, you've got antiquated equipment, you have to replace it. So there's a good chance that some of the equipment wasn't good, at least in some of the places. And there were also apparently by hearsay, there were some issues with how women were randomized. Here, individual women were randomized after they were their breasts were examined, so that leaves open a potential bias. Your point of view then is that this study is not accurate. Whether the results are accurate or not, I'm not sure. It's certainly an outlier in the sense that there are other similar studies which show different results. So it's possible that it's just a statistical fluke, but it's certainly not a reason for women to reconsider mammography. Mammography has, you know, it's not perfect. It does have problems. It does sometimes detect cancers that wouldn't have been detected in the woman's lifetime. But in general, we still believe that at least in women over 50 or in high-risk women who are younger, mammography can save lives. The thing is that uh, you can't tell who has a cancer that would never amount to anything and who has a cancer that, that would turn deadly. So Correct. So how is that useful information? Well, it's just something women have to take into consideration, particularly if mammography is an option. For example, if you're 40 years old and trying to decide whether to have a mammogram or not, you might say, well, you know what, the chance of this saving my life is probably the same or less than the chance that this is going to overdiagnose me, so I don't want mammography. Women get really confused seeing these things. Right. I mean, the benefits of mammography are not huge, but we don't really have anything better. And considering that it's the highest cause of death, you know, of women over 40 um, until they reach about 65, you know, it's pretty much all we can do. There are women who will choose not to have mammograms. That's their choice. They're not insane. They don't need to be locked up. But if a woman feels she wants to do everything possible to lower her risk of breast cancer, you know, mammography is one of the things she can do. It won't lower her risk, but at least it might lower her risk of dying of it. Mm -hmm. And finally, this study uh, and the study authors sort of seem to suggest that finding and treating breast cancers later makes no difference as opposed to treating them earlier. As, as a clinician, what do you think of that? No, that's not true. First of all, if you find a very early cancer, a woman might be able to avoid mastectomy. She might be able to avoid chemotherapy. So that's one, you know, simple benefit. That won't necessarily be the, that won't be the difference between life and death, but it's a big quality of life issue for some women. So that in itself might be a reason to get mammograms. Um, but the second thing is we know that, you know, the earlier, in general, the earlier stage of breast cancer is found, the higher the cure rate. Should women just ignore this? This study adds nothing to the information we already have about mammography. And women who were getting mammograms have no reason to stop. Okay, well, I think that, that sums it up. Ellen Warner, thanks so much for joining us. You're so welcome, Libby. Bye-bye. 
I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The Canadian International Auto Show is underway. Many of the cars on display include some incredible new driver-assisting technologies. But do cars that park themselves or brake on their own encourage lazy driving? In just a moment, I'll talk to driving instructors Ian Law and Shonda Yeager. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Well, these days you don't have to be a star or hire a chauffeur to have your car driven for you. Driver assistance technology is one of the top trends in the new models. But are these technologies enhancing safety or creating potential hazards? I'm joined by driving instructors Ian Law and Sean Yeager. First, let's go through these innovations that uh, many of us are going to find on our new cars. Well, there's the um, lane departure warning system. You know, I've, I've driven a number of the newer upscale uh, vehicles like BMW and Volvo that uh, are incorporating this lane technology warning where uh, an, an audible sound will occur when the driver starts to drift out of their lane. And it's to warn the driver that, you know, you're not paying attention, get back into your lane. What are some of the other technologies that we're going to find on our vehicles? Well, the blind spot warning uh, feature is becoming a lot more popular in a lot of different vehicles, not necessarily the, uh, just the high-end ones, but the lower-level ones uh, and, or mid-range vehicles also have the blind spot warning sensor. And what is it exactly? What it is is if somebody happens to be hiding out in your blind spot, a, a little light will go off in your uh, mirror or a little beep will start occurring. If you turn your signal on, you'll get an audio uh, warning inside your car to say, don't make that move, there's a car right there. But what it's encouraging people to do is not check their blind spots. They're not doing shoulder checks anymore because they're relying on the computer. And if that bulb ever blows, you might not know it's not working. I keep hearing a lot about cars that are going to park themselves. Well, yeah, there's, there's, uh, Ford has come out with this innovation where uh, when the driver comes to their parking spot, you know, they can press a button and basically let the computer park the vehicle. Um, again, they're using uh, radar and laser technology to uh, get the car into the, into the parking spot. We, we're getting into this transition zone where it seems to be the goal is the autonomous car. Um, and there is a downside to a lot of this new technology, and, and, and our, our fear is it's going to take the driver away from the task of driving. And, and with that um, attitude that the driver thinks, well, now I've got this technology to do most of the work for me, unfortunately, they're going to say, well, maybe I've got time to do other things like text or talk on their cell phone, and, and that's the downside to this new technology. Are there any of these driver assistance technologies that you think are great? I can come up with one. We all hate shopping and finding a parking spot at the mall. And in a few years, and I know that Volvo's actively working on this, you drive to the entrance of the mall and you take out your little phone or tablet and you say, go park yourself. And you go into the (laughs) mall. And the car will drive around for as long as it takes, park itself in in a spot and shut itself down until you come back to that same spot turn on your phone again and say, come pick me up. So that sounds kind of good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds I like, like that one. Okay, oh, oh, oh. I don't think it's it's ready yet. Is there anything that we can get in a car that we buy now that you like? Well, um, Volvo's coming out with this pedestrian uh, protection one where if the driver is not quick enough in their reactions or has missed a pedestrian running out in front, the computer and the sensors will pick up on that pedestrian coming out in front of the vehicle and apply the brakes for the driver. 
Um, wow. So that could be a good one. I can see in that area. And is that available on cars now? The, the Volvo I was testing just a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the brand new Volvo XC60, was uh, armed with this new technology. Um, however, I didn't want to try it out so much. So I didn't really get to test how well it worked. I actually tried to do it with a snowbank. Um, and it didn't work, so it wasn't picking up the snowbank that I had. It's kind of hard to get a pedestrian to willingly jump in front of your vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> it was, I couldn't get anybody to test it with me. So, uh, are we ever going to have a day where we can totally rely on on a car to drive us? Absolutely, yeah, we've it's got coming. some phenomenal advancements with um, the Google Car, which is completely autonomous. It's racked up over half a million kilometers in the United States. It's got the vehicle itself has been licensed in Nevada and California, and it's only ever had two collisions. It got rear-ended, so not the car's fault. And secondly, the second collision was when a human was driving it. So it's doing pretty good for itself. Now, there, there are still... Different a, climate in Nevada, though. Yeah, yeah we, they don't have snow there to cover up the lane markers. There, there is a, a downside to the autonomous car, too. Uh, so far, as, as from what I understand, um, the people doing the actual programming are computer people and I think when, when they're doing this program, they should have a driving expert to sit in there with them and say, well, this is what we got to look for um, because, uh, quite frankly, some of the computer experts out there aren't the best drivers around. Okay. Anything else you want to add? Well, I think we've covered thanks quite a Thanks for having us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ian and Sean, fun. thanks so much for joining us. Thank My you. Pleasure. The Canadian International Auto Show is on now at Toronto's Metro Convention Centre until February 23rd. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, singer Michael McDonald celebrated his 62nd birthday. Coming up, we'll hear one of his hit songs with the Doobie Brothers. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Rocky is on Broadway. Based on the Academy Award-winning film of the same name, Rocky stars Andy Carl in the role made famous by Sly Stallone and Margot Siebert as Adrian. Previews are underway at the Winter Garden Theatre. In Chicago... New York is a dance. New York is a summer. Queenie Pie by Duke Ellington is presented by Chicago Opera Theatre. To London, England, where Turner Prize-winning artist Martin Creed is the main attraction at the Hayward Gallery. This is the first major survey of his art and covers everything from his most minimal moments to the extravagant room-sized installations. And in Paris, the Museum of Modern Art is devoting a large-scale retrospective to the abstract painter Serge Polyakov. In all, some 70 paintings and many works on paper are displayed from the period of 1936 to 1969. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Day book. That's the voice of Michael McDonald, one of the greatest blue-eyed soul singers of the 20th century. This week, he celebrated his 62nd birthday. McDonald began his career singing backup vocals and playing keyboards for the band Steely Dan. 
However, in 1979, he was recruited by the Doobie Brothers when their lead singer, Tom Johnson, became ill during a national tour. McDonald's stint with the band was so successful that they decided to keep him on as a permanent member. He stayed with the group till 1982, and during that time, they released many hit songs like Real Love, Taking It to the Streets, Little Darling, It Keeps You Running, Minute by Minute, and this song, which became a number one hit single in the U.S. and earned the 1980 Grammy for Song of the Year. Here is What a Fool Believes. That was the Doobie Brothers with What a Fool Believes. Singer Michael McDonald celebrated his 62nd birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week when we tell you about Work Reimagined, job fair for Zoomers. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive Producer, Moses Knight. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.